Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome to Politico Tech. Today is Friday, October 13th. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. Tensions between the U.S. and China have put many tech companies in an uncomfortable and, frankly, unpleasant spot, torn between two rival superpowers with large, lucrative markets. American chipmaker Intel is among those right in the middle of it. On the one hand, Intel has been a White House darling, pledging to invest billions of dollars to manufacture semiconductors in the United States. And it's likely to receive sizable government subsidies to do exactly that. On the other hand, Intel pulls in roughly a quarter of its revenue from China. That means the Biden administration's restrictions on doing business with China could hit the company's bottom line. Money that Intel has said is also necessary to make those U.S. investments a reality. I spoke with Intel's government affairs chief, Bruce Andrews. I get a little crazy about semiconductors. Bruce was previously the deputy secretary of commerce under President Obama and said he knows what it's like to juggle the competing demands of national security and business. On the show today, he told me why he thinks a less restrictive approach is ultimately better for both. Well, Bruce, thank you for joining us on Politico Tech. My uh, pleasure to be here. Great to have you. Um, I do want to start talking about the spate of investments that Intel has announced over the last couple of years now, I guess. Um, but billions of dollars you're going to be spending in the U.S. and in Europe um, building out fab facilities. Can you tell us just sort of what exactly Intel is going to be building in these facilities? Sure. Yeah, well, look, this is a super exciting time in the industry. And, you know, traditionally, Intel had designed and built semiconductors for itself, uh, but not for anyone else. And when Pat Gelsinger came in as our new CEO, uh, Pat really recognized that there was a need for a third advanced logic foundry in the world, because previously, TSMC and Samsung were the only advanced logic semiconductor or the companies that built uh, chips for other people, so essentially contract manufacturing. But they really, and no one has really built, other than Intel, advanced logic in the United States. So we're about half of the current U.S. semiconductor pro uh, production in the United States, but we want to take that number higher. So we have announced investments that go well over $100 billion just in the United States alone. Because I think during, well, particularly in the last several years, we've recognized two things. Uh, one is, is it's a, um, you know, the, the, the world had really spent 30 years of globalization focusing uh, production in China and other places right. for I'll, a long time. But we, what we, we used to make more chips in the U.S. They've all, that's right. That's all yeah. moved overseas. No, I mean, the crazy thing is in 1990, 80% of semiconductor production was in the U.S. and Europe. Uh, since 1990, that number is down to 20% in Asia, 80% is in your, is in Asia. And so what we recognized during COVID and the Shanghai port shutdown is that you really do need to have more resilient and balanced manufacturing and supply chains. So we have doubled down in the United States. So that's, I mean, the question and the criticism from some, right, is why would a company like Intel need government well, subsidies? It's actually a really simple question, which is, do we want to have semiconductor manufacturing in the United States? 
or do we not? Because if we want to have it here, if we have to compete, so let's say we build our fab in, in Ohio. If we have a 40% cost difference between Taiwan, South Korea, China, because of the subsidies those governments give, we're going to lose in competition. There is just no way. And, you know, the U.S. didn't start the subsidy game, but the only choice the U.S. has to be able to be globally competitive is closing that cost gap. And you've seen it, you know, I mean, frankly, one of the reasons the CHIPS Act passed, you know, we've always built uh, fabs in the United States without incentive. But, you know, TSMC essentially sent to the Trump administration, if you don't give us huge incentives, which will make it cost competitive with our Taiwan operations, we're not going to build in the United States. And we want to build fabs that are globally competitive. If they're going to be globally competitive, they have to have an equal cost structure. If they don't, then they're not going to be successful. And frankly, this investment, you know, the investments are great, but they're not going to be sustainable and uh, have benefits for the long term. And so the the investments Intel's making is really predicated on the idea that you will share in this the billions in, in chips funding that Biden has pushed through. I mean, look, I the the short answer is no company without closing the cost gap is going to be able to successfully compete in the United States. Like you've even seen, you know, TSMC has come out and said they're going to charge thirty to forty percent more for the chips made in the United States. Now we know how to build and manufacture here, so we think that the cost gap we can make it more efficient. Um, but nevertheless. You know, you're not going to see production come to the United States if it can't be done in a globally competitive manner. And that's why these, that why the incentives in the CHIPS Act are so important. And frankly, because we're making significantly more investments, I mean, we really are investing in the United States. And because we're doing that, we think that, you know, we do deserve, um, you know, the, the, and the math is there, right? Like, as we're not making up math, the math is very clear. The government has estimated what the cost gap is. And now we're saying, hey, if you want us to be able to be successful making all these investments, we need the incentives under the CHIPS Act. Because the thing is, we could, you know, we're every single day, we're getting calls from countries around the world. I mean, there are every major country is offering incentives. You know, if you want to go build, in certain countries, they'll give you 60% of the incentive. If you build in China, they give you 60% of the incentive. So, you know, our decision was one because we believe in the United States and we believe in the future of the U.S. And, you know, but we it has to be able to be done in a cost competitive way because there's five countries we could go to tomorrow and manufacture there and get even bigger invest incentives than we'll get in the United States. But that's not really what we're in it for. We're in it for because we believe in building these resilient supply chains. Well, and so if you have these other countries offering bigger incentives, are you able to either one leverage that to get to get more money from the U.S. and the EU? Or no, I mean we've been always very clear. It's not about a subsidy race to the bottom. It's been about how do you make up the cost gap. And this, you know, this is math, right? This is not you're we're not you know we're not making up the numbers. We have numbers that are based on facts that show what is the cost difference. And actually, it's been very helpful to the extent that you know, for example, the TSMC founder came out and said, you know, it's 50% more expensive to build in the United States than it is in, in Taiwan, for example. So I, there's a whole bunch of data on the record, you know, and the Commerce Department's going to do an analysis of this. But when we ask for funds, it's not, we don't make up the numbers. We do it based on, you know, we have to basically have an a example and to be able to justify the numbers about what the cost gap is. You know, this is a question that's always on my mind, and I've asked it a few folks, so I'll put it, I'll put it to you as well, which is, Commerce talks about the CHIPS funding often in national security terms. Mm -hmm. you know, they see it as a national security initiative. I mean, as a U.S. company, what obligations does Intel have to 
advance or further or operate by, you know, U.S. national security concerns? Because obviously there's there's the cost gap, there's the financial considerations. But, you know, as an American company, is there an obligation to ensure U.S. national security and competitiveness? I mean, look, we so so I would actually in this case tie together economic security and national security. And I'll give you an example, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully there will be no natural disasters in any of these other countries where uh, chips are produced. But let's say there, let's say chips are produced outside the United States, and there is a natural disaster that affects one of those company countries, you know, that cuts off the US supply, right? There's geopolitics, there's so many factors. So having leading edge fabrication being done in the United States gives the US amount of economic but also national security resiliency that, you know, currently we don't have nearly as much of. And so this is going to play a critical role in making sure that that capacity, that capability is here. And in the same reason, one of the reasons that Germany works so much with us to get a fab on European soil is they recognize that it's a national security and economic security issue to not have fabrication that's resilient to whether it's natural disaster, whether it's to geopolitics, you know, there's 20 reasons why you want to not be overly concentrated in one area of the world in one set of companies. And one of the things about Intel is in the past, we only manufactured our own chips. So now we'll be a foundry to the world. So to US companies, to foreign companies, to US government, to foreign governments, you know, we'll be able to make chips for folks. And that will really open up uh, a degree of uh, autonomy and security that the US hasn't had in the past. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. Continuing with this uh, topic of national security, I mean, as I'm sure you well know, Commerce recently finalized its sort of rules for what uh, what it expects of companies getting chips funding in terms of national security commitments. Yes. And the gist ultimately is to sort of not expand or add new production capacity in China. Um, how does that requirement affect Intel's investment plans in China, where you all do have a business. I mean, look, so, so, I mean, look, so I, I'll say two things. I mean, one is obviously China is a important market in the semiconductor world. You know, it's 25% of global demand. Another 25% of semiconductors go through China because they're assembled in laptops and iPhones and, you know, you name it, you know, China has, right. there's, there's manufacturing there. So about 50% of the world's semiconductors pass through China. Um, with that said, you know, we also recognize that, you know, we're looking to build resiliency into the system, not just and, and we've been very successful in China, like we have great customers. And you know, the revenue that we get from China helps to do CapEx here in the United States, it helps to do R&D in the United States, you know, and, and most American semiconductor companies have, you know, significant market share in China. So just example, there are a bunch of companies that 50% of their revenues, um, about 50%, 
are out of China. You know, for us in AMD and NVIDIA, it's in the high 20s. Um, you know, and I think this is the reason that you've seen a united semiconductor industry coming out and saying to the U.S. government, hey, we understand the need for restrictions, but also please understand that we support national security, but we also, those restrictions need to be done in a way that doesn't unnecessarily impact the rest of our business because China is an important market. And so, you know, you probably saw the Semiconductor Industry Association put out a statement several months ago on behalf of the industry, but basically making that point. Right. Well, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, given that China is an important market and um, will continue to be, presumably, mm-hmm. um, does having these uh, limitations on your abilities to to invest there, do, will that matter? Sure. I mean, so look, we we don't have we don't currently have advanced logic, you know, was not in our business plans to build advanced logic in China. So I, it's not going to have a huge impact on us. Um, where it does have an impact, though, is, you know, two things. One is, you know, we do like to have the flexibility to manage our business because China is an important market. You know, so so we do have investment. Everybody has investments in China, right? The second piece of it, though, but we don't have advanced logic there. We actually only have one fab there, which we sold to SK. So we're actually, you know, so we don't have a lot of manufacturing in China, unlike our competitors who frankly have a big cost advantage because China tends to be a much lower cost market. Uh, but that's not really that. I don't think I don't think it's an issue. I think the, the guardrails debate was much more about just recognizing that the U.S. government has to be careful in how much limitation because nowhere else in the world puts these types of restrictions. Like when we went to Germany and got incentives, there was no discussion of it. You know, there's TSMC, when they get incentives from the Taiwanese government, there is no conversation about restricting where they operate around the world, right? And same thing in South Korea. So the thing that's important for the US is two things. One is let's really focus on national security. And two is make sure it's multilateral. Because the one thing you don't want is US companies to be disadvantaged by the fact that we want to build in the United States. You know, I mean, we have literally put our money where our mouth is by doing far more investing than anyone else is going to do. But the idea of disadvantaging companies because they want to invest in the United States doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, I I was reading Intel's comments that it filed on this Another rule we're expecting from commerce mm-hmm. um, around export controls for chips and chip equipment, which we, we don't know what that final rule will be exactly. But I know that Intel has expressed some of those concerns you just shared about, you know, being overly restrictive on U.S. companies acting unilaterally right. um, while, while some foreign competitors don't have the same restrictions. I mean, as you read that kind of final rule, when it does come out, wh- wh- what will you be looking for exactly to see whether or not? It, it it's going to hamper business. Well, look, I mean, I think two things. I mean, one is everyone understands that national security has to be a priority. And we don't argue with the U.S. government about, you know, they, they have to take certain actions and we understand that they believe are in the national security interest of the United States. But we also say to them is let's be as focused as possible because what we don't want is for sending a message that U.S. companies are not reliable, right? And at the same time that, um, you know, that the Western companies, you know, there's talking of de-risking and reducing exposure to China. What we don't want is Chinese companies to say, well, we can't count on American companies. So even if there's no national security interest, um, you know, not necessarily buying our products. I mean, we think we may, and, and if you talk to anybody in our industry, they all say the same thing. Every company is going through the same challenge. You know, look, American company products, 
products are the best in the world. And we've got great – I mean, we are the world semiconductor leader, right? Um, but and, – and so, you know, customers around the world, including China, want to buy those semiconductors. And so the thing is, is just making sure that while they're protecting national security, which is super important, that we also make sure that you don't have collateral impacts that are unnecessary, right? So it's just the government being very tailored and focused and, you know, and also, as you mentioned, you uh, multilateral. So we don't end up in a situation where, um, you know, U.S. companies are disadvantaged when our foreign competitors are not. Well, you were a former deputy secretary of commerce. Yes. Right? Yes. So you, you've been in that position of having to balance industry desires, national security demands. Now that you're not looking at that, that balancing act from the government perspective, but industry perspective, I mean, what's the most harmful, most challenging, most business undercutting, however you want to phrase it, sort of decision that could get made now that would, would hurt Intel? It's, it's hard to say. But what I can say is, I mean, look, ultimately, the U.S. government draws the lines and draws the rules and we follow them. So we do believe it's important to educate them. And, you know, and sometimes people criticize and saying, oh, you shouldn't be going in. Well, no, that's what the American system is all about, right? The First Amendment is there so that parties can go in and petition their government. We actually have a constitutional protection. And, you know, we get all the time people in government thanking us for coming in because the reality is, you know, like I work very closely with BIS when I was at Congress. Great people. One of the best agencies in the U.S. government. But do they have the technical sophistication that people in Rehab? No. So that's one of the reasons that the partnership and the education and the comment process is so unbelievably important. So every time I hear people criticize companies for going and talking to, you know, the government about this, I sort of like, wait, that's actually what our system, that's the strength of our system. Because in other countries, in authoritarian systems, companies don't go in and get to say to their government, let us tell you what we think the best way to do this is. And it's really the strength of the system of bringing the understanding and the, uh, and the um, you know, and the real expertise in the private sector. Because what you don't want is government to take actions that inadvertently hurt companies because they don't understand some issue. But I mean, the counter argument there, though, is that the companies can can influence the government's decision making and you know perhaps prioritize uh, lead the government in a way to prioritize the the profits of US companies over national security priorities. So yeah, but you, you people in government no the, what government does every day is debates between different priorities, right? That's what Congress does, that's what uh the the government does, right? And to your point, you you just what you just said is actually really important. Sometimes they do look and they say, "Hey, the harm we could do of some action is more important than potential, you know, problem. Like, for example, some people would just say, hey, completely decouple. If you really want to stop Chinese development, completely decouple the U.S. and the Chinese economy, because that's the logical outcome of what you just said, is just don't sell them anything. But people in the government are looking and saying, hey, how do we protect national security, which is their top priority. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what they're going to focus on. But they're also looking and say, how do we make sure our industry is the strongest in the global leader in the long term. And that's what they should do, right? Because government isn't about one priority. It's about really prioritizing competing priorities. And when I was Deputy Secretary of Congress, Commerce, we did that every single day. And I'll give you an example, which is a really important one. You know, one, when the Snowden thing happened, it was a disaster for U.S. companies, right? U.S. companies lost billions of dollars in revenue because the government had been involved in taking actions that, you know, 
foreign com- customers decided they couldn't trust the U.S. And so within the government, we went through a whole process to say, how do we make sure that, A, the government interacts with companies in a way that, you know, has the government priorities, but also recognizes that having a strong U.S. industry, whether it's, you know, the IT industry or the semiconductor industry, is a huge national priority, right? Because that's what one of the strengths of the United States and makes us the most powerful country in the world is the strength of our economy and the diversity and the innovation and all the things. So frankly, it is a high priority for government to make sure that innovation is taking place here. And I would argue that's a huge national security priority to have innovation, have the most innovative and leading companies in the world is a strength for our economic security, but it's also a strength for our national security. So the idea that it's just one or the other, no, that's not how it works. Right. So you always are constantly balancing a whole multitude of factors. Well, and I do think that's part of the central tension, right? Is the, you know, how do you, especially because the Chinese and U.S. economies are so deeply intertwined mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of the actions that the U.S. government might look to take in the name of national security, economic competitiveness, you name it, um, it it's hard to take a hit at China, so to speak, without potentially negatively affecting your own companies. And I guess for me as a journalist, that's why I always come back to this question of, you know, what, what are the responsibilities companies have to national security? Is there is there ultimately just a, a hit to the bottom line that comes sure. from and that an ha- American that ha- company? That happens plenty of times. But the question is, you're right. I mean, there's plenty of things that are done and we don't complain about it. We recognize that there's a national security imperative that they've taken. And we say, okay, that's fine. We get it. But we also say, be really smart about about it. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a question of is the U.S. government going to support national security or protect national security. What really is, is where is the line drawing exercise and how to do it to really balance multiple priorities. And, you know, the good thing is I think there are a lot of really smart people in this in this government who get that having the world leading semiconductor industry is super important to national security because ultimately you look at all these weapon systems that they want to build, you know, the world is going to be, you know, in, in the development of AI, for example, all this stuff, you know, having the best chips is going to be an important national security priority. And so I think they understand it. And so, you know, look, it's always line drawing exercises. I do not envy my friends in government when they have to do this and having sat in that chair and sometimes had debate. And sometimes you tell companies, hey, we don't like, you know, what, what you want. We're going to do it differently. Right. And we get that. Intel, to me, in some ways, seems like a prime example of the position many companies are in right now that are multinational, that have businesses in China and the U.S. and are sort of caught between the two, especially, uh, you know, in high tech. Um, what does that feel like right now as a company <laughs> to be to be in the middle of this, you know, uh, major geopolitical tech war that you you didn't start and you're not necessarily fighting, but you're you're certainly in the in the center of it. Look, the the only thing we can do is be the best, most advanced, most leading company that we can possibly be. All we can do is be the strongest, most effective company that we can. And then, you know, our industry is very engaged in the discussion about how to draw the lines. And, you know, we ultimately, to your point, there's a lot of decisions that are made by government officials and countries around the world that we have to live with. And that's what we do. We comply. You know, they write the rules. We follow them. And, uh, you know, some days do we wish that the line was a little bit different? You know, sometimes we think that's the case, but ultimately all we can do is be the most competitive company we can possibly be. And we believe if we make the best, most world leading products and we have the best foundry in the world uh, and attracts customers, that's going to be successful. 
Uh, I, I do have to think that this makes it harder to be that to be that company. I, there's, <laughs> oh, I, there's, but, but, there's no way it doesn't. But but we're not alone, right? Like we're our whole industry um, is in the same case, and there's a bunch of other industries that I would say sure. also face the same challenge. Now we are two things, I guess. To your point, uh, one is maybe we are the industry that today everybody's really focused on because we are the foundational technology. And you know, Pat has said this, which um, you know, which the uh, the last fifty years as history has been defined by where the Oils, oil reserves were, the next, you know, 50 years is going to be defined by where the fabs and the technology is. And we're just, you know, we're doing our part um, to, to invest here. And, you know, all, all we can do, unfortunately, and I have this conversation with all my colleagues all the time, there's a lot in geopolitics that we can't control. Or, you know, but what we can do is do our best job to compete and be successful within the parameters that we're given. Well, Bruce, thank you for being on Politico Tech. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overley. I'll see you here next week.